Good evening. One man just can't make a difference in a world that doesn't make sense. And has anyone in here ever questioned why the world doesn't make sense? See, it is interesting to note that every culture has some type of account as to why man is the way he is. That is to say, why man struggles with the things he struggles with, why he commits the kinds of atrocities he commits, why he exists in the condition that he exists in as a human creature. Every culture that has developed to any extent will inevitably realize one overarching truth about human nature. We are imperfect. This is the result of an ingrained knowledge within man himself that something simply isn't right, something simply doesn't make sense. And it's with these thoughts in mind that I would like for us to look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. Uh, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to that. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. If you will do that, I will do the same. If you would, please bow with me for a moment of prayer. God, we come to you today to hear about your word and to just be fed. And God, I would ask you to feed me first and to let me understand everything that could be understood about this passage we're about to delve into. Uh, I will be thy name. May all glory be unto you, God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 through 9 read, Then the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? The importance of these lines cannot be overstated. In them are contained some of the very doctrines that are central to what the Christ follower holds to be the ultimate truth. In these lines, we see one of the clearest illustrations of the gospel and scripture outside of the gospels themselves. Keeping the gravity of these passages in mind, let's look at the first line of the text in a bit more detail. Then the eyes of them both were opened, and they realized that they were naked. Perhaps some background is necessary to understand the context of this passage. Adam and Eve up until this point existed in a right relationship with God. They were not perfect because only God, by virtue of being God, can be perfect. But they were innocent. The only negative instruction given to the two was to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. However, both of them knowingly defied the command of God and accepted the lies of Lucifer, who told them that they would not, as God said they would, surely die if they ate of the fruit of the tree. In fact, the two are promised that by eating the fruit, they will obtain the perfect knowledge of God on the great subject of good and evil, that they would, in essence, become like God. The instant man defies the will of God in rebellion, which we all do, he falls from a right relationship with God. In this instant, man gained the ability to see himself as he really is compared to the perfect holiness of the God who made him. What man perceived was that he had fallen into sin and was utterly helpless before a just and righteous God. No man did not obtain a deep knowledge of good and evil. 
However, the scripture makes it clear that they did come to a revelation. The eyes of them both were opened, and they realized that they were naked. When man sinned against God in his attempt to become like God, he fell from a right relationship with God. He fell from innocence in the eyes of God. More so, man became aware of his newfound position before God. He became aware of his nakedness, and they realized that they were naked. It is interesting to note that the word naked is used in the same context in Genesis 3, verse 7, that it is used in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. Revelation 3, 17 reads, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Both verses describe the state of man. Both verses describe man and the state he is in before God. And both verses use the word naked to describe this state. The word naked, I think, is very interesting in its own right. In the English language, the word at its face value means, obviously, to be without clothing, to be you know, naked. However, the interesting thing about the English word is not the literal definition, but the connotation of the word. To be naked means more than to lack clothes. To be naked is to lack. To be naked is to exist in a state of want, a state of grotesque need in which you as the individual are devoid of something crucial and left vulnerable and exposed. To be naked is to be left exposed and without. When you read the words, you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked, you are reading a description of the natural state of every man, woman, and child. You are reading about sin, the universal human condition. This nakedness, this state of deprivation and need, is the essence of what fallen man is. This nakedness is sin, and it is why we need Christ. When Adam and Eve opened their eyes and saw that they were naked, they saw much more than an absence of clothing. They saw an absence of a right relationship with God. They realized that because of their explicit rebellion against the command of God, they were now deprived of what they had had, which was a right relationship with God. Although they did not obtain the deep knowledge of good and evil that they were promised, their eyes were nonetheless opened. And when their eyes were opened, they found themselves able to perceive their newfound nakedness, needfulness before God. When humanity first found itself exposed before God, naked in its original primordial sin, we see the first recorded instance of one of the most fundamental human emotions, dread. Dread is the natural response of man when he confronts his own sin and his own deprived nature. Dread is only intensified when man is forced to confront his sins in the presence of God, when he sees himself in the light of God's holiness. And we see this echoed throughout scripture when Isaiah set before the throne of God and said, I am a man of unclean lips. He was filled with dread. When Joshua saw the captain of the host, he was filled with dread. John, when he saw Jesus on the Isle of Pantamos, he was filled with dread. Adam and Eve, when they saw that they had sinned against their creator, were filled with pure, utter, terrible dread. The eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. When man finds himself in the face of his own depravity, when he is facing this dread of being naked before God, his innate response is to attempt to cover his own nakedness. 
This is what we see rather clearly in the scripture. Man realizes his own inadequacy. He realizes that he has transgressed against God and is now able to perceive that his sin has caused him to fall into a state of depravity, of utter spiritual nakedness, which he then attempts to remedy on his own, by his own merit, through his own actions. See, contained in this line is an accurate summary of the whole history of human civilization. What has man really been trying to do since the fall except soak fig leaves together to cover his own inadequacy? What is philosophy but man's speculation about his own nakedness? What is man's attempt to civilize, to settle, to expand, to impose meaning on the world around him except an attempt to cover his fundamental nakedness and inadequacy before God? That's not to say that philosophy doesn't have its place. I mean, we may learn a lot about the human condition from it. We may learn much about the effects of the human condition. We may even learn how to combat the effects of the human condition. We can learn about ourselves and to an extent the meaning of ourselves. However, no great philosopher has properly explained the human condition. None of the greats have ever been able to explain away the existence of sin, this fundamental sense of loss that permeates the lives of every human being in existence. That's not to say that many great thinkers have not attempted to explain this sense of loss. You see, from Adam onwards, man has had an innate knowledge of his own nakedness. When Adam first realized his nakedness, he became aware also that he had become deprived, as depravity is embedded in the connotation of the word itself. And now embedded in every man is an innate knowledge that he has been deprived of something, that there is some higher meaning to his life. It does not matter what school of thought you come from, man cannot ultimately believe that his only purpose in life is to die. Accordingly, many great thinkers have attempted to explain away this sense of being deprived of higher meaning, this desire for something greater than life itself can offer. Darwinism explains this as an instinctual desire to progress that has defined our species from the uh, Paleolithic age to the modern age to where we are now. Marxism explains that man is simply a social and economic unit and that the fundamental feeling of inadequacy is the result of man not fully functioning in this capacity as the result of greed and subsequently capitalism. Now, disregarding any plausible credence to any claim, they fail to explain the heart of the issue. Man feels lost and depraved because he is lost and depraved. Man feels lost and depraved because he is sinful and in desperate need of Christ. The inadequacy of Adam's attempt to cover himself is a clear illustration of a crucial piece of doctrine to the Christ follower. Man cannot reconcile himself to God through his own efforts. That's not to say that man has not attempted to do so. Human history is littered with various religions and ideologies that have attempted to place the human in a right relationship with the divine. History is littered with fig leaves, each one completely and utterly inadequate to cover man's own nakedness. Adam attempted to cover himself with fig leaves. Man-centered religion alone attempts to cover man with pre-prescribed to-do lists. You see, man-centered religion is the antithesis of the gospel. If the gospel states that man is saved through God, by God's grace, through faith in God alone, then religion states that man saves himself and in the long run God is just unnecessary. If the gospel states that man needs Christ, religion states that Christ is merely an abstract concept that requires human belief to be validated. See, religion 
is the product of man's reaction to sin. If sin is death, then man-centered, pointless, worthless religion is decay. This point is further illustrated in the next portion of the text. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. When Adam and Eve heard God approaching them, and they anticipated the presence of a righteous and holy God bearing down upon them, they were afraid. They were filled with that dread that comes from being naked before God. Why? If man had made a covering for himself, then why did he hide himself from the presence of the Lord God among the trees? If man's attempt to cover himself were adequate, why would he have to hide himself? And there's a rather simple explanation for this. Man's attempt to cover himself was not adequate. But Adam tried, didn't he? Eve tried, didn't she? How can a loving God still have wrath on them after they tried to make things right? I mean, Adam was a pretty good guy, minus that old defying the will of God thing. But how could a logical, rational person be so naive as to think that good intentions change what is good and what is wrong? This is where we find ourselves now in the text. Adam and Eve have sinned. They have become aware of their sin. They feel the weight of knowing that due to their own actions, they have ruined their relationship with God, and so they have now hidden themselves from the presence of God. Man naturally hides himself because his efforts to cover up his own nakedness are utterly inadequate. Scripture says quite clearly in John chapter 3, verse 20, that everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. You see, man cannot on his own cover his own nakedness. However hard he tries to explain away his feelings of exposure, however great his efforts are to get rid of the gnawing dread that comes with sin, man inevitably finds himself terrified and quivering in the bushes. All of our attempts to cover ourselves are futile. All of our attempts to hide ourselves from God will fail. Man ruined his relationship with God. Deep within our core, we know things are not right. In our heart, when we're honest, we know why. We know in our collective soul that our condition is irreparable, so we hide from God. Adam hid from God, and God could have left him there to rot. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you, man? Where are you, woman? Where are you, sinner lost from God, naked in your sin, wretched and miserable as you hide in the trees, your only covering being the insufficient cloak of works, of ideology, of human goodness, of your own attempts to reconcile yourself to God? Where was man in the account given to us in Genesis 3? Man was cowering in the undergrowth, naked and in fear, the knowledge of his sin sending waves of dread through him. When man heard God walking in the cool of the day, he was not moved by the majesty of the presence of God descending upon him. No, man was filled with terror as he heard the approach of a just God who had every reason and ability to smite him. He was aware of his nakedness, and he was also aware of God's holiness. Sinful man feels pure, unadulterated dread when confronted by holy God. 
And what good reason man had to dread? God had every right and capacity to smite Adam and Eve in that moment. God had the capacity and authority to kill humanity, sin, religion, ideology. God in all his justice could have wiped the fallen, wretched, sinful thing hiding in the trees from existence. But he didn't. He called out to man, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Here is one of the most potent displays of God's grace in the scriptures. Instead of destroying man in his sin, God calls man from his sin to him again. Now, don't be under the illusion that sin is without consequences. However, God calls us away from our sin to the cross, to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God has always and will always call man from sin. This is the very basis of the gospel itself. God calls man out from his sin. God calls man to him. God calls to me, to you, to every human being to repent of their sins and be restored to a right relationship with him. God called to man when he first fell. In spite of man's nakedness, God called to him. In spite of our nakedness now, God calls to us. God called out to man in the trees, man in hiding, man in dread. God calls out to you and me. God calls out to everyone. God calls out to man today. God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? So where are you? The band will begin to play in just a moment, and the altar will be open to respond to what you have just heard. If you would, just bow your heads. God, we open the altar now. We open it to any response to what was just said. God, if there's anyone here who feels the need to repent, to follow the call that you are issuing, let them do so now. God, if there's anyone here who needs to make things right with you, let them do so now. God, we thank you for allowing us to be here. We thank you for calling us calling us now just as he did when you first called Adam. Hallowed be thy name. Our glory be unto you.